so we are 100% faking it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that would be a good theme for like most of the things on the floor yeah. as well. I feel like CES is like the physical equivalent of a Kickstarter page. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Human Element, Kara's podcast about finding human intelligence in modern marketing. I am so excited because this is an all-Kara special. Woo! It is the official CES wrap-up show. Get excited. You, you're going to get some blistering uh, commentary here from Chelsea. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> I can't. Ah, your normal enthusiasm uh, shines through. Yeah. And Sarah Stringer, our head of innovation. Some muted excitement from me. Hello. You do seem a little tired. I gotta I'll be honest. I've had seven hours sleep. I feel like I had seven minutes sleep. So Oof, that's how'd just you get CS. seven hours. God, I would sign up for that right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm very boring. And of course, <laughs> uh, the always intrepid and brave Jason, super engineer. Hello. It, you should all know that if you were here, you could see that Jason has lost his mind and hidden all the wires from our microphone so literally you cannot see them. Uh, it's an incredibly professional setup there, my friend. Yeah. Thank you. First question out of the gate, Sarah, we're going to start with you because you've spent some time actually kind of thinking a bit about this. Yeah. Where, what are the highlights, big trends, things coming out of this uh, this year's CES? Yeah, I mean, I think overall there's a couple of things in terms of, I guess, technology that are like big trends. And then I think there are things just as marketers that I'm hearing a lot more people now talk about when it comes to the technology that we're seeing on the floor. And I think... I think the data security is going to be an increasingly hot topic for clients um, and for brands and technology providers as well. I mean, I think we're seeing that conversation translate into the types of technology that people are going to be putting into their homes. So how hackable is that? And, you know, Internet of Things being on your Wi-Fi and, you know, connectivity through Bluetooth, like what kind of data risks are you taking on by having your home and a lot of your personal data accessible via these different devices? So I think that of the partners that I've met with, a lot of the startups I've spoken to and the technology that I've seen on the floor, more people are now talking about how they're going to try and increase security on these um, devices and ecosystems because right now I think it's a little bit of the Wild West. Yeah, look, if 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 the sentence can be replaced with the give Russia the keys to your house, <laughs> um, <laughs> your answer is going to be, eh, maybe not, maybe not. Yeah. Other things that we're seeing, I think, around key trends are um, technology not only to make your life easier. I mean, I think one of the more stupid technologies I've seen on the floor, and I'm sure it's very useful for some people, but essentially it's a clothes closet that you can put not dirty clothes in, but clothes that you've maybe worn once and you're just going to hang up again before you actually like maybe wear it again or put it in the wash. And this cupboard, it can only take five items of clothing, but essentially it will... Gen- gently shake them and then try and um, like remove any bacteria in them to stop odors and so forth so you can rewear them again. And I'm like, how much money do people have that they're going to put a cupboard into their house which just gently agitates your clothes to ensure that they smell better the next time you put them on before you put them in the wash? This is the level of um, is, specific needs that we're now building for. At yeah, CES. I mean that is that's through the, the looking glass right there. Yeah, that is yeah. that is dumb. Uh, Mike Murphy, who um, writes for Quartz and is a an editor over there, he's a great guy. He used to work for me in a former life, and he posted a picture of a water bottle that has a wireless Bluetooth speaker in it, and he was like, "This is the dumbest thing I've seen." <laughs> Here so far, but I think he hasn't seen the closet because the closet sounds bad. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know if that's if you only have five items of clothing, you really got to make them last. And, you know, maybe it's a good thing. But I just think there are a lot bigger problems to solve in the world at yeah. the moment through technology. And I just don't know if that's it. But I think we get quite jaded at CES because I think a lot of the trends that we see, we're expecting to see something that is so entirely new that will like just smack us between the eyes. But the fact is, is that we're we're seeing a lot of this technology being developed all the time, being talked about in the press all the time. We get to CES and we see the physical representation of what that technology looks like. And we all actually have time to have a conversation around when do we think this is actually going to be like a mass consumer product. But I think that all of these things are gradually creeping up on us. Like rather than the fact that we've been talking about autonomous cars for the last what, four, five years? Yeah, five, We're now talking years. about the entertainment systems that will sit within there. What type of content should you produce for being sat in your car for, you know, that commute and that journey? Yeah. So I think we're now just thinking of the next level steps of, okay, we're pretty sure that this is now going to happen and we're going to, you know, wait for legislation to go through to work out if we're going to have separate roads for autonomous cars, if we're going to have them intermingling between human drivers, like... But now we're starting to think, you know, how can we really create an interesting experience? And, you know, what content partnerships can we start building for these platforms? So I think we just slowly, every single CES, get closer and closer to something that feels more of a reality. But I think because of that, people are a bit like, mm, I've not seen anything new this year. But it's just slowly creeping towards something that's actually going to happen. Yeah, I mean, the big, the big sort of tentpole issues are still the big tentpole issues. Let's let's go to trust, transparency, and data just for a second, because yeah. I, I want to I wanna hit this. Yeah, I made a prediction in our end of year uh, pod around what I thought we might see with regard to that topic here, and I think I gave three options, and uh, one of which was sort of the "Hey, a lot's going to happen in the world before CES rolls around," uh, and you know that's going to distract us, and maybe it won't be as high on the list. And and obviously here in the United States, that's happened, right? We have this ridiculous government shutdown. We've got the behavior of the political leaders of the country distracting everyone. And I think it has taken a little bit of heat off of uh, the big platforms, Facebook in particular. And I think that that's helped them here kind of not have that be a dominant or as dominant a, a topic of discussion. But the fact remains that there, I think, is real reputational impact to that brand. And there is a growing sense among, I think, a not insignificant portion of their user base, um, that that is a brand that for all of its assets does not have necessarily their users' interest at heart. And the momentum of that, whether it's day in, day out in the news, the momentum of that continues to move forward, and I think that's a real problem. I agree, and I think that the thing that's becoming increasingly worrying is that like Robert, you just mentioned like this this idea of like opting in, that you have to be on one of their platforms for this to potentially be something that you're uneasy of or them collecting your data. What's coming out now more recently in the press is actually that you don't need to even have a Facebook login. You don't even need to have the app on your phone, yet they're still tracking you. And I think that we're seeing now, you know, more news articles start to reference this and more people are becoming aware of um, how the tech industry and really advertising industry as a whole has been utilizing data. And I think even location services, people are now waking up to the fact that like, I actually saw something served to me on my Apple News. And it was Fox explaining to people how to turn off location services to their reader base, which I thought was very interesting because I thought, okay, this is obviously people that don't even realize that actually their phone has been tracing their 
location on a number of different apps or they've just been mindlessly opting in and not realizing that you know they're actually sharing that data and I thought it was it was interesting because this is obviously kind of like a great awakening of middle America to the fact that actually a lot of things that you're doing on your phone and a lot of your personal data is actually out there so it'll be interesting to see how you know I think we sometimes in the industry have a very bi-coastal mindset around some of these things and we are kind of a little bit more aware of some of that data sharing but I feel like this is now becoming a mass consumer awakening of of how data is being passed through to people without their knowledge. Yeah. Chelsea, you have anything you want to throw in there on this topic? I think it's interesting with data insecurity and how consumers are afraid of that, but I personally as a consumer, I don't think I am that afraid of having my data out there because as long as the end game is getting me to an easier or more simplified way of working or if it's searching for restaurants near me, like that's that's convenient for me. Like that makes my life easier. So if they're tracking my location, I don't I don't know if I really care enough. Again, Does that I make me a, am I a bad consumer? No, no. no. Look. <laughs> Who I are you? Know, I'm sharing it's all out there for me, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, it, when we've had this conversation before, utility drives value and value is what customers want. And so if you're on the winning side of that equation, I think there's a, a really significant amount of intrusiveness, quote unquote, that uh, consumers are willing to tolerate. I think the, the question is, it's about trust fundamentally of the people leading these organizations and what they believe in and stand for. And the optimism that is inherent in these platforms, I think has given them a halo for a really long time that these are change the world, you know, bring people together, connect people, blah, da 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 but it is not a one-way street. These are platforms that have dark sides and downsides, and, and it's when we get to that that you start having to wonder, all right, well, I get that there's massive utility, and I love that, but there is significant downside potentially um, to them knowing where I am all the time and sharing that in, in, in ways that, that really aren't helpful to me. So I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting. It cries out, in my opinion, and I'm not a big government interventionist, but it cries out for some, I think, government action, but it has been proven time and time again with these, you know, they go have these hearings and, and you know, let's be honest, the, the politicians in those hearings are just are tragically underinformed. They sound and look ridiculous. And so I don't think any is coming. There's not, you know, and, and left to their own devices, I don't know that we, and the we here is sort of the great consumer population in the United States, we can trust those platforms to make the right kinds of decisions. I mean, I think it's a it's a result of the way that the entire industry works, which is essentially you build a platform that you want people to use and you're excited about it and you have the best intentions. And then to get funding or to get a user base, you have to make it That's super right. easy for people to use. So you attract more people and then you might get a bit of marketing money and then you try and expand your footprint. And really, I think particularly sometimes under... Um, the pressure of obviously trying to scale a platform to make sure it's like viable for investors and viable for advertisers that you only have a certain amount of resource to focus on and a lot of that focus goes into making sure the platform is as usable as possible. And I think that what we've seen from some of these big scaled partners in the past is that security was a little bit of an afterthought. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't necessarily built, it wasn't what like the actual like platform was necessarily built on because its primary purpose was essentially to try and then eventually scale and make money. And I think what I'm seeing more from from a lot of the startups that I'm speaking to and have been having meetings with at CES is 
We've seen more people actually put data security at the heart of their offering and they're building for that first, which I think is really interesting. And there's definitely all the buzzwords being thrown around. Like I've heard people talk about blockchain and then you kind of dig into like, what do you actually mean by the use of blockchain in terms of your advertising, which is can be tenuous. Um, and cryptography being talked about as well in terms of how you're obviously anonymizing people's data and making sure that actually nothing is being stored on you know, on a centralized system, but actually it's being controlled and owned by a user on their device. And I do think it's pretty interesting because we are starting to see now partners, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see Apple taking a swing in this direction, which is they are now building um, their own chips and they're building a chip that will sit specifically on a device, which actually allows you to keep a certain amount of your data secure just on your device versus it being shared outside um, in a separate ecosystem. So we are starting to hear the industry start to change the way it's moving. And I have to say, I'm feeling quite positively about some of the newer players in market that they're built for a consumer first safety um, as their number one priority. So it will be interesting to see how that starts to roll out and scale as consumers have that more as a, a table stakes in terms of I will only interact with a partner who is willing to keep my to do data secure as a first port of call. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to jump to a different topic. Sure. Are you ready? 5G. <laughs> yep. A year away. I'd say so. I mean, it's funny. There was some stuff in the press. I don't know if I should mention the carrier. They are using 5GE um, on screens, and they got a little bit called out for the fact that it was um, very misleading to look like they had switched on a 5G network. Three letters and an ampersand in this? It may have been, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that this, again, goes back to some of the issues in the industry that we're all running at this idea of being the first to everything um, and it not necessarily either delivering or, you know, 5G available in a postage stamp area, we also need to think about the fact that we're seeing a slowdown of people upgrading devices. Reason being is that, you know what, the device I have is great. Do I need to be constantly upgrading it like every single year? And I think that, you know, it costs a lot of money. And I think that's, again, something that we're seeing from the market is that consumers don't want to have to spend $1,000 every single time, every single year to upgrade their phone. So I think people are becoming aware of that. So 5G will also be slowed down depending on the amount of handsets it will take to actually get that to like mass appeal. So I think it'll be interesting to see that, you know, as we talk about connected cities and internet of things, and 5G will definitely make a big difference there. But again, chicken and egg. It depends yeah. on, you know, what the rollout of that technology is going to be in sure. smart cities. And quite honestly, it's the exact same argument for 8K TVs, which everyone like CES is historically a big TV announcement yes. platform. Everyone's been talking about 8K or roll away screens, which I have to say do look pretty cool. And the fact that you can actually buy one. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, why again, do I need a television that's like a yoga mat? Because, you know, I feel like sometimes, you know, having, so Samsung announced a 98-inch TV, which nothing says I don't want to speak to anyone in my family than having like a wall of screen that I can maybe ignore everyone. Well, how, how, like, is that uh, 98 inches? Good grief. What's my, is that eight feet? Um, yeah, look, I, 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 because this is my role in this pod to play the, uh, you know, moderately angry middle-aged white guy, uh, my television <laughs> is 15 years old. It is literally the width of a tire, uh, and it and it still works just fine. It's a 1080p 
Um, Makes it harder it, to steal. It, uh, He's laughing it now. Is, you know, I, and I, there's no chance that I'm upgrading to a 98 never, inch. It would never be stolen. <laughs> Leave me the last thing that stands in your house. <laughs> that is true. I, it, there'd be a note. Like, please. We took everything else, but uh, you can have this. Treat yourself. <laughs> Upgrade. Yeah. Yes, yeah, get a new TV. And of course, I'm not going to do anything with it because I spent a tragic amount of money on it because it was like the newest thing when I bought it. It was a horrifying price tag. Yeah, right. So. Yeah. That'll just sit there forever. Then I'll donate it to the Smithsonian. Um, all right, let's uh, let's zip ahead. We obviously did some panels and some pods and some one-on-ones and all kinds of stuff out here. Um, I'm gonna, you know, Jace, we, we're gonna go to you. Anything stick out from anything you've heard in in the pods so far? Now's the time when you talk. Actually, mm. this is. <laughs> You've been hanging out with me for far too long, Jason. <laughs> so the Sherwood Forest Bar did it to you. It really did. I'm of that rare breed who thinks before they speak. Ah, yeah. Uh, wow. yeah we don't. We don't allow for that. That's not how this pod works, my friend. Shoot first, ask questions later. Um, the two first interviews we did this week stayed fairly close to the script on responding to what we were leading them. Well, through. we had Such the two that, big. Right, we had two yeah, big. We, we had like Google two and juggernauts Facebook. in the room, yeah, and sure. they did not speak a lot about. Uh, the shiny things on the CES floor, nor did they go too far off script on what we were sort of expecting they would talk about. They were great, they're personable. We, I thought I learned something about their worldviews and the way they believe their companies operate in the yes. world, but I don't think I learned anything particularly new or something sort of jutted out. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, my conversation with Tara was a great kind of industry-level conversation, and I think it's mm-hmm. going to turn out Great on on that particular front, state of the agencies and and whatnot. So that was kind of fun to do. And with Jason and uh, and AK, um, it was reaffirming, I suppose, to hear them. I mean, Facebook is one million percent all in on stories. Period. Like mm-hmm. they that had is an the agenda, product, right? They were pushing stories. That is like they are. That's where they're going. And Google, um, you know, it's funny. Voice. They're pushing voice. They're pushing. Yeah, play. well, for sure, voice is a huge thing. I, yeah. I, the thing it was it was a little subtle, but the thing I, I thought stuck out to me the most for Google was trying to align and connect different products and silos in their portfolio to generate a more comprehensive understanding of uh, what's happening. And I think the orchestration of that, and I think that's a really interesting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, those were kind of the big takeaways. I mean, in terms of presence, I feel like Google is a lot more visible than a lot of the other big players. Yeah, no, that, again, they're just in so many different parts of the pie, too, right? So, consumer products, they've got their platforms, you know, they've got sort of voice, they've got, you know, they've got a lot of different parts, of, you know, silos that they participate mm-hmm. in. But yeah, they're kind of unmissable for sure. Um, I kind of noticed there, no matter what we were talking about or who we were talking with, there's a lot more around storytelling, and I think that's really nice. Is like, how do you take the technology and start making emotional connections with humans? Mm-hmm. A couple years ago, it was just like AR, VR, taking the consumer out of the real world mm-hmm. and putting them into something else and just plotting them there. And that was the big thing, and mm-hmm. that was great then. But now I'm seeing that like, no matter who or what experts we were talking to, everyone was saying, like, understand your brand first, understand like where your consumers are at, but then start telling a story to them and the right technology and with the right platforms. Yeah. So it wasn't like they're trying to push AR, VR on everyone anymore. It's not a, yeah. That's not a thing for everyone, that's okay. And I think even the partners are starting to realize that and tell a different story as they're pitching their own product. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. So if you, you, know, if you think of the interview we did with Nani, the discussion we had today with Gail, 
certainly Clive, like all those conversations had a thread of how important it was. Now again, they're marketers, right? But um, how important it was to sort of find insight and drive that through whatever the technology capability of anything is. And again, it's good to hear, I think, marketers focused on that. Because at the end of the day, that is what marketing is. That is the job, that is the task, no matter what the form uh, factor that we're trying to interface with, we've got to deliver compelling stuff. Um, and that compelling stuff comes from tried and true formulas, insight-driven, compelling, emotionally engaging stories in whatever mechanism that you can. Yeah, I feel like everyone's really wising up to VR. <laughs> I feel like the number of people that have gone, yeah, you know what, we already pushed that, and I just don't think it's probably going to be as game-changing as people expected. Like, I think there's definitely some probably retractions going on of people feeling like it's going to be this like still enormous thing. And I think it's it's now really like paired back to, for some people it's going to be right. And yeah. for quite nuanced situations, it's going to be a great platform. But I'm still probably not going to be sat at home with like family members and we're all going to have our own separate VR headset on. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think what, what we heard was scale AR, deep immersive niche Something yes. VR. Yeah. Um, and look, there's going to be people that that choose to live a portion of their life in an alternate reality. Yeah. From the panel, though, I I mean, Sharon didn't talk about this on the panel directly, but I really like the point through the gen- <laughs> so I'm going to bring wait. it up so, for her. So I'm going to bring up a point that wasn't made on the panel, but I'm going to associate with the we person from so the panel. We were in so many pre-prep calls that like, there was a lot of great insight that just wasn't being able to share in the 30-minute short sections. But I have an idea. Next year, we're going to do Our conference calls. We're going to live stream the conference calls so all of the insight is shared so that if you, if you miss the panel or we screw the panel up and don't cover everything, you get all of the value. But it was about looking through tech with the generational lenses and mm. like shutting off means so many different things and I still think that's very, really fascinating to think about. Like, So shutting off in a digital world like to baby boomers, that's like you know put your phones down and everything shut off. Like to millennials, that's like I just won't look at Instagram, but like everything else is a digital. You know what I mean? Like I deleted one of my apps. Right, right. And I think it's shifting now more for Gen Z is what we're figuring out. It's like they're actually kind of reverting back to like how older generations are thinking. Yeah. Um, because they want those experiences, but it's still like they're those experiences that Gen Z is experiencing now is all still digital. Like it's not they got there through digital to whatever hangout they're at. But it's a very interesting thing to think about when we think about tech and the different generation. Yeah, and I don't know where it all leads. I, you know, again, I, I know I cover this a lot, and everybody gets tired of it. But you know, I'm a dad almost before I'm anything else, and so I see the world through that lens. And when I look at my kids, you know, one of them is clearly more digital than the other, right? And lives a very digital life. The other one. Um, definitely sort of supports his interest through digital, but it's not as immediate in the moment. I got to do my, you know, 75 streaks on Snap before I get out of bed in the morning. Um, but at the same time, it's the multiness of what they do that really strikes me. So phone in one hand, YouTube rolling on the laptop, and the television on. And that's, you know, that is a Tuesday night. 
and they're sort of half paying attention to all of it. I, and I don't know how that I don't know how that works, but that is the most striking thing about that particular generation to me that I cannot relate to is this: I got three things rolling, and I'm sort of semi plugged into each, and I'll pop into one thing when it interests me and dive back into over here. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know what that means for human relationships, but that that seems to be how they work at the moment. Well, it's interesting because you see more technology actually allowing us to be more human. I think it's interesting the point you made about your kids because I think what we're seeing is more design and form factors to try and allow people to have to feel like they have less technology in front of their faces, and so that's why we're seeing this rise in audio and like um, more like tactile. Um, user interfaces that that don't make you feel like you're clicking on something or you're holding like an object in, in front of your eyes and staring at it. Um, but yeah, sometimes that, apparently that technology is going to allow us to feel less lonely by hugging a robot who might be aware that we might be emotionally in distress or, you know, just need a little pep up. And you don't have any anyone around to do it who's human. So a tech piece of tech Do you, do you remember Furbies? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel a little remember, bit like that. Yeah, except I feel like parents were so cruel to Furbies that there was always like a Furby in the freezer after they couldn't work out how to switch it off or, you know, I feel what like there was a bit of like, <laughs> what? there was some toy abuse happening in my household. Yeah, this goes from general to specific. Wait, 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 wait. Back the truck up. Yeah. Your parents put your Furby in the... No, you know, this is actually me shaming my sister. She was babysitting a kid and she, this Furby wouldn't shut up and she found it very unnerving. So she put the Furby in the freezer and I think that As she would. forgot that she put it in there. Oh. So I can imagine poor parent or child will be slightly put off by the fact their babysitter essentially left their Furby in the freezer for them to find in the morning. I feel like that's slightly murder-esque. <laughs> murder-esque. Well, we, we've, we've finally gotten to the Furbies in the freezer part of the pod. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a title for so you. So if the over-under was, you know, 12 pods, it took us 12 <laughs> pods to get to Furbies in the freezer. Um, all right, I want to I wanna kind of bring us, you know, land the plane. Uh, let's do one kind of around the horn, anything from the past couple of days uh, that we haven't covered or that, you know, struck you in particular. And it could be, you know, it could be a funny story moment, whatever. I think the biggest question is why... Why do marketers still need to come to CES? Like, what is next year going to look like? Yeah, that's a good question. It's just, you know, is it worth it? I mean, there's a lot of great brands here right now, and like, are they getting what they need out of it? And what is that? Is that just the time for networking that they don't get to do on their day to days? Yeah, I, I think yes. I think that's what it is. You get everybody in one spot. You can, you know, make a lot of connections, renew a lot of connections. You know, kind of advance some agendas with those connections. Do it in the beginning part of the year where you're like, all right, you know, we've got a whole year in front of us. We're going to go do X, Y, Z. I, I think those are the assets of it. The circus backdrop of technology, I guess, provides some level of inspiration to kind of see stuff and engage and whatever. I agree. I think um, I do think that the the circus level like technology that can be coming is is still a, a big deal. I think yeah. Sony marketers are so. They have to deal with so much stuff on a day-to-day basis, and this gives them just the opportunity to think about what next. And I think that it's it's very rare to get that in sort of like ebbs and flows in your day-to-day, and you're sure. always worried about a million other things, but you are so immersed and bombarded with yes. it here that it does give you that wake-up call to kind of get outside of yourself to go, there's other stuff that we should be thinking about. And even as you're building a brand, I think recognizing that it's if it's not video and it's not your logo showing up, how does your brand show up yep. in an ecosystem that isn't necessarily based on what you're expecting or what you're used to? So I think it does allow people to start thinking beyond what they do day to day. And I think even if it's not necessarily going to be directly applicable for 
right now for some of these technologies that it does allow you to start thinking about how does your brand continue to have longevity in these new environments. Yeah, and look, the reality of the client condition is that um, the average marketing job in a significant enterprise corporation is you know 60 to 70 percent not marketing. Uh, that's what your day looks like day in, day out. And so uh, any moments where we, you can either take a step back and kind of think about something or find a little inspiration or be like, ooh, that's park something in the back of your head, that has value because the day in, day out of you know regulation and compliance and legal and financial performance and training and all that kind of stuff that happens uh, in client environments, um, you know, the, the, it, it is chocked full of stuff beyond the real marketing of things. And so I do think there's a, a, a value a value in that. Um, Sarah, anything, your, your last words? On Flying the- cars. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just leave it. Let's just so you can out. <laughs> you can hug your robot in your flying car. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna that's that's basically my new day in the future. Um, so, Bell, uh, it was funny because we've actually seen some of these like quadcopters. They're actually sat outside of the main floor last year. So it's not necessarily new news, but I feel like because they really made it onto the main show floor and they have a very impressive setup that it looks like. Um, rather than it being viewed as like a helicopter, because it's basically like a quadcopter, it's like a drone that is that kind of has the like chassis of a car on it, um, that people are now starting to think about actually. I feel like every year we go, where's my flying car or where's my hoverboard when it comes to CES? Yeah, well, and, there it is. Yeah, and now we're like, oh, actually there is a version of this that now is going to... And I think the thing that is slightly terrifying is not only just the is the form factor of it, which you kind of like, it's kind of a cool-looking helicopter, but it's the technology around it, which is how are we building for people that don't know how to fly a helicopter? How do we make sure that they can pilot a helicopter, which is then slightly terrifying. So um, that view of a Jetsons future where you're going to be zipping around. Um, they're trying to work out how do you create something that essentially won't accidentally kill yourself by not being a trained pilot in one of these devices. Yeah, I mean, look. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, terrifying. I know, my biggest opinion, worry of 2019. In yeah. my opinion, you know, greater than half the population is unfit to carry an umbrella and walk down the street <laughs> in Manhattan. So the idea that we're going to have people you know, zipping around in helicopters uh, just terrifies. Yeah, well, it's linked with... So they have a partnership with Uber, so Uber Elevate, which is going to be their new flying flying taxi service. Um, they are building out prototypes for that um, as we speak, apparently. So it'll be interesting to see what that starts to emerge as a as a trend around this idea of um, air travel, like more day-to-day air travel outside of like planes. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm getting anxiety They're just thinking about it. Right I know. Now. Uh, it's the Jetsons. Jason, anything? <laughs> yes. Um, what seems to be, and maybe it's just this year, but increasingly not here, is the social uplift uh, that premiering things here or having something buzzy here used to have. And part of that is yeah. sort of a side effect of the monopolies that are the channels through which we now get our information. But this year, nobody talks about it. And there are great yeah. reasons why specifically this year, but you kind of get the feeling with the way discourse is happening on the platforms that this might be a persistent problem for tech companies which had for now, I don't know, a decade and a half, this really consistent yep. free vehicle of buzz. If they just won the day with a snappy experience or whatever it is they came here to do, it might never reverberate again the way it used to. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic observation. Again, uh, I think the canary in the coal mine on this was South By. South By hasn't had a significant kind of breakthrough launch moment in years. Uh, and now 
I think it's just getting incredibly difficult uh, in these venues to to do that. So I think it's a really great observation, but I don't think it's endemic just to CES. I think it's a broader mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm I'm going to share uh, my sort of permanent image of CES, and it's two things. The first is, and this carries over into former lives of mine, but I am always, always deeply impressed, moved, inspired by the people I get to talk to in these interviews and, and pods. And this was no different. I think the quality of guests we had here is absolutely fantastic, and, and I'll put it up against anything we did at the old place. So that was the first thing, which is, and I, and just how grateful I am to to, to all of them. Uh, the second thing is fun is how you define it. Some people would like a manager, a boss, a leader of a department to take them out to a fancy restaurant, maybe a you know a sushi situation or whatever. But it takes a true team to appreciate at nine o'clock that nobody has eaten and that the Shake Shack is the right call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so I'm I am deeply proud. Uh, of uh, of our ability to find fun uh, at nine twenty p.m. in uh, in Shake Shack with the Voodoo IPA, the uh, what was the other one? New Bud. Oh yeah, <laughs> New Bud. It's just Bud Light. Just regular. Oh, we just try to sell it. Yeah. To, to the group. Yeah. Drinks. No one wanted to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one, I forget what the other one was. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I I was I was very excited, and I was very excited to have the highest ticket item for that particular cashier last night at Shake Shack. She was like, <laughs> nobody has spent this much money. Wow, <laughs> this one, yeah. high roller, ready. high roller. She did. She <laughs> yeah. actually said, <laughs> she's she's like, she's she's like, you are, you, you are high roller. I'm like, that's right. Don't forget. Which brings us to uh, this episode's sponsor. If you want to do the post roll read, yeah, this episode brought to you by Sherwood Forest Bar inside Excalibur. Vegas's most enduring medieval tradition. <laughs> most enduring is an incredible <laughs> description. <laughs> so good. Oh. Uh, listen, that wraps it up for us for CES. Nothing left but the flying. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Please remember, uh, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. Please don't forget to subscribe or give us a rating or a comment. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back out to you soon. See ya. Thank you.